Welcome to Then and Now with Ed Stevens, President of the International Preterist Association. Then and Now is a weekly podcast designed to explore past fulfillment of Bible prophecy in order to equip us for guiding the church in its ongoing reform. And now, with today's message, here's Ed Stevens. Welcome back to another podcast from a full preterist perspective. Last time we took a break from our regular schedule to let all the sports fans enjoy the Super Bowl game. Hopefully that gave the rest of us some time to spend with our families and friends and get caught up on listening to some of the previous podcasts. It also gave me some extra time to work on my new book, Final Decade Before the End. This time I want to share a recorded message from Ken Ham that I heard this past week. Ken is the founder and president of Answers in Genesis, which is a biblical creationist ministry. If you've never been to their website, you're missing a real treat. Just do a Google search for Answers in Genesis, and it will probably be the first thing that pops up in the search results. Their website has a huge amount of good conservative biblical information, debunking evolution and building a strong case for a young earth and a literal Genesis account of creation and the flood. You'll want to spend a lot of time there looking at their articles and media resources. Before we listen to that excellent lesson, however, let's pray and talk to our Heavenly Father. Sovereign ruler over all the nations, King of kings and Lord of all lords, your ways are so far above our ways that they are past finding out exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that we can think or imagine. We pray not only for our nation and its rulers, but for all the nations of the world, that you would humble the wicked and raise up the righteous ones. We know that righteousness exalts a nation, and that sin is a disgrace to any people. Teach us through our studies here, about how to be salt and light in this very dark and tasteless world. Equip us and embolden us to be your useful vessels to serve the truth to this nation and the world that has backed so far away from you. Inspire the younger generation of Christians around the world to gird up their loins and dare to challenge the darkness with the light of your absolutely true and authoritative word. Help them to take every thought captive to your holy word. We pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. The following speech from Ken Ham is from his series on foundations. Better than anyone else I have heard in recent times, he identifies exactly what has caused the decline in Christian culture, Western civilization, and the church over the past four decades. His analysis is timely and accurate, and surprisingly in sync with a preterist worldview. We'll listen to his speech first, and then discuss it. Here is Ken Ham. The 
The Great Commission for the Church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And certainly the church has had an incredible influence on our Western culture in the past. But today, we see the collapse of our Western civilization from a Christian perspective. The Bible tells us we're in a spiritual war. And there's no doubt from a human perspective, the church seems to be losing that war. So what has happened? What's the real nature of the problem? How can we once again see the church be effective in reaching our culture for the Lord Jesus Christ and overcome the secularization that is before us? Well, that's what this session is all about, to help us understand the times, to understand the real nature of the spiritual battle before us, and to be able to deal with that so we can once again see the church being effective in touching the culture for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure many of you, like me, are very concerned at where this nation is heading, and not so much economically, I know we're all concerned about the economic problems in this nation, but spiritually. And it's not just America, it's the whole Western world. Do you realize right now we're living in an interesting era of history? We're living in a time, I'm sure many of us are concerned, what sort of, what sort of nation are we bringing our children up in? What sort of world are we bringing our grandchildren up in? What, what's going on? What's happening? It's, it's not just America, it's the whole Western world. We see the collapse of the Christian fabric, the collapse of the Christian worldview. Why is this happening? I believe a ministry of answers in Genesis has really been raised up at this time to help people understand what is happening and what to do about it. And I want to go through four verses of scripture that to me will really help us understand what is going on and why it's happening and what the solution uh, to these issues are. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, we read about the sons of Ishakar who had understanding of the times. And I want to ask us, do we have understanding of the times? Do we know what is happening uh, in our nation and in our Western world? We need to have understanding of the times. These were men who had understanding it was time for David to be king. But do we have understanding of the times we live in? Psalm 11.3 tells us, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What's happened in our nation is that there's been a foundation that has come under attack. It's the foundation of the authority of the word of God. And that foundation has come under attack right throughout our Western world. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, always be prepared to give a defense, or as the King James puts it, to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer, to defend the faith. One of the problems that we found today is that most Christians don't know how to answer the skeptical questions of the age. Most Christians don't know how to give a defense. In fact, that word defense, or the word answer, is, is, is translated from the Greek word apologia, from which we get our word apologetics. And that word has a sense of meaning of give an answer back, to give a logical reason defense of the faith. One of the things that we should be doing today is making sure that we're raising up generations who understand how to give a defense of the faith. And we need to be teaching apologetics. Most Christian parents aren't teaching their children apologetics. Most churches aren't teaching apologetics. It's a real problem throughout Christendom. Mark 16.15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We need to go out there and preach the gospel. But you know, we live in an increasingly skeptical culture in which many people don't even listen to the gospel because they don't believe the book from which it comes. And we need to understand how we're going to approach such people. I want to show you a little video clip here uh, about uh, the nation of England. Because what's happening in England is happening in America. It should be a warning for us. Where England is today, America will be tomorrow. Watch this clip and then let's discuss this in a bit more detail. 
The coronation of Queen Elizabeth. Like British monarchs before her, she promised to maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel. But Britain today is at war with the gospel and with itself. Yesterday, I got a letter from the Advertising Standards Authority of a complaint saying that my billboard that says Britain is a Christian country is offensive to atheists and other religions and it incites hatred against them. What nonsense. There's been a massive move by the secularist lobby to privatise religion. You can have faith so long as it doesn't affect you in the workplace, so long as you don't bring it into the workplace. Just make it private. By some estimates, it only took about 10 years to almost completely undermine Britain's Christian heritage. Barring a sudden move of God, it's likely to take far longer to restore it. You know, that news report should be a warning for all of us because what is happening in England is happening in America. America's going the same way. And, you know, when you go over to England today, in fact, the whole United Kingdom, let me show you some photographs that are the norm, not the exception of what's happening in the United Kingdom. It's happened all across Europe. Here's a church that was turned into a Sikh temple. And here's a church that was turned into a rock climbing centre. And uh, here's a church that you can see was turned into a museum and this one was turned into a theatre. Uh, here's a church that was turned into an information centre and this church here was turned into a clothing store, this one into a habitat shop, this one into a music store, this one into a liquor store, this one into a nightclub, this one into a tattoo and piercing studio. It's happening all across the United Kingdom, all across Europe. Back a couple of years ago, uh, Penguin Books actually published a book called Killing God in England and they did their own survey and they said this, that nearly two-thirds of teenagers don't believe in God. By the way, if two-thirds of the next generation don't believe in God, where's the culture going to be in another couple of generations? Where's the church going to be in a, another couple of generations? A news source a few years ago uh, in England said this, that the Christian church in this country will be dead and buried within 40 years. And of course, that's exactly what we see is happening all across that nation. Uh, my wife and I were over in England in 2009, March 2009, and the day before we left, we bought the newspaper and the headline in, on the front page of the newspaper said, I want to see the flag of Allah flying over Downing Street. And Downing Street is where the Prime Minister lives. And uh, also had in their newspaper saying, through jihad, we'll fly the flag of Allah above Downing Street. Uh, this is happening uh, over there in the United Kingdom. And people, we need to look at America, need to look at our whole Western world. What is going on? Do we really understand the times? In uh, 2010, there was a global atheist convention in Australia. I don't know whether you know this, but the atheists are really on the march. You know, when I was a, a, a teenager, atheists would say something like this. Oh, we don't believe that stuff about, about Christianity. Uh, we, don't, we don't agree with you people. But atheists today are very different. The atheists today would say, oh, we don't believe that stuff. And Christians are bad people. And we've got to stop them doing what they're doing. And we've got to stop them uh, teaching their kids about the Bible. And we've got to marginalize them. We've got to do something about these Christians. That's, that's what's happening in England, people, it's increasingly happening in America. The atheists have become very, very aggressive. And uh, one of the major newspapers in Australia, in reporting on the atheist convention that was held there, made this statement. It said, the number of churchgoers in Australia is about 9% and dwindling. The diversity of spiritual belief is flourishing and atheism is going off like a frog in a sock. Now, if you want to know what a frog in a sock means, that's an Australian term, by the way. It just means it's taking off, just so that you've learned some Australian here and doing that as well. And by the way, there, there were photographs taken of the atheists in Australia wearing their T-shirts proudly, uh, 
uh, saying that they're an atheist and there were ads on buses saying atheism, celebrate reason. What about Canada? What about America's uh, northern neighbour? Well, this news source says this. Weekly church attendance dropped to just over 30% in 1975 and around 20% by the year 2000. The assumption has been that the percentage will continue to drop as Canada becomes more secularised. That is, it has been expected that church attendance in Canada will soon reach the levels of Western Europe where it has dropped below 10% in most countries. We realise our whole Western world is changing. But what about America? I mean, this has been, I would call it the greatest Christianized nation on earth. Can't say a nation has been truly Christian, but certainly the greatest Christianized nation on earth. Do you realize in America you have the largest number of churches and seminaries and Christian colleges and Bible colleges and Christian bookstores, Christian resources, Christian radio, Christian TV? Actually, in America you have more Christian resources right now than any other country in the world. And you have more Christian resources right now than you've ever had in your history. Let me ask this. For all the Christian resources that we have in America, would you say as a culture, a big picture perspective, is it becoming more Christian every day or less Christian? What would you say? Less Christian. People, there is something wrong here. Why is not the church touching the culture? I mean, the church has more resources than it's ever had. We have mega churches across America. We have all these programs. We have all these resources, more than you've ever had in your history. And yet the church is not touching the culture like it used to. Why? I suggest to you because the culture has actually invaded the church. And you know what we're seeing happening across America? Just like the United Kingdom. Churches like this one that was turned into a museum and this one that was turned into a town hall and this one into a martial arts center and this one that was turned into a music store. Yes, we're seeing that happening across America and we're seeing these moral issues pervading the nation. Who would have ever thought? Can you imagine if you went back to the, to the 60s or the 50s or even before that and, and said to the culture back then, do you realize that in the 21st century in America they'll have legalized abortion, they'll be legalizing gay marriage, they'll throw in God and the Bible and prayer out of the public schools, they would be eliminating Christian symbols from public places like the Ten Commandments and uh, nativity scenes, crosses. And I think people back then would have said, no, 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 not in America. Oh, yes, in America. In April 2009, Newsweek on the front cover had this headline, The Decline and Fall of Christian America. And inside they had an article with the heading, The End of Christian America. Who would have ever thought that Newsweek would be saying, this is the end of Christian America? In fact, they did their survey and uh, they said the percentage of self-identified Christians has fallen in America and that the number of people willing to describe themselves as atheists or agnostic has increased. By the way, the number that they said were atheists uh, was about 3 million. 3 million compared to 300 odd million in this nation is a very small percentage. But do you realize that they have the most effect on this culture? Why? What about all the people who call themselves Christian? How come it's a, it's a very small minority, if I can say it that way, that are having such an effect on the whole cult, influencing the entire culture? What's wrong with God's people? Where are we? We've got more Christian resources than we've ever had. You know, one of the people who understands that this nation is changing and who actually supports the change that's occurring in this nation was President Obama. I'm not trying to get political in saying this. I just want to quote President Obama himself so that you understand what he's saying about this nation. In his book called The Audacity of Hope, which was published before he was elected president, he made this statement. He said, whatever we once were, we are no longer. Whatever we once were, we are no longer just a Christian nation. We're also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, a nation of non-believers. What does he really mean by that? Well, 
Let's listen to President Obama himself and then look at a few more of his quotes to understand what he's saying about the nation of America. Remember what he said during his inauguration address. We are a nation of Christians and Muslims, Jews and Hindus, and non-believers. We are shaped by every language and culture. And then in 2009, when President Obama visited Turkey, speaking with the President of Turkey, he said this. You know, I've said before... Uh, that one of the great strengths of the United States is, although as I mentioned, uh, we have a very large Christian population, we do not consider ourselves a Christian nation or a Jewish nation or a Muslim nation. Uh, We consider ourselves uh, a nation of citizens who are uh, bound by ideals and a set of values. Let me ask you a question. Whose ideals and whose values? Because you see... If it doesn't come from an absolute authority, God, the Bible, then who decides? It's whoever is in power decides what those ideals and values are. It all becomes relative on who can impose those on a culture. When President Obama said, whatever we once were, we are no longer, he actually sees it as a positive thing. Whatever we once were, we're no longer. And telling people around the world, look, America has changed, and this is a good thing. In fact, I can show you that he uh, believes it's a good thing from some of the other things that has happened in this nation. For instance, back in 2009, President Obama declared that June of that year, 2009, was to be Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual and Transgender Pride Month and called upon Americans to support that. He also said in 2009, he said, my expectation is that when you look back on these years, you will see a time in which we as a nation finally recognize relationships between two men and two women as just as real and admirable as relationships between a man and a woman. When you have the President of the United States saying, it's important to understand marriage is not not just to be a man and a woman. You've got to allow a man to man, a woman to woman, and so on. And we, we, this is a great change. This is a positive step forward. You know that America's in trouble. And then it's interesting to note that in 2010, on the White House website, President Obama said, an important chapter in our great unfinished story is the movement of fairness and equality on behalf of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community. Across my administration, openly LGBT employees are serving at every level. And then he said, now, therefore, I, Barack Obama, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim June 2010 as Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual and Transgender Pride Month. And again, called upon Americans to support it. People, America has changed. Whatever we once were, we are no longer. The secular humanists are talking about this in a very positive way. For instance... A secular humanist magazine called Free Inquiry, uh, the edition that was published in February of 2010, had on the front page the heading Fading Faith and had a picture of a bombed-out church and steeple representing the decaying church or the collapsing church. And they said this in an article inside, a historic transition is occurring, barely noticed, slowly, quietly, imperceptibly, religion is shriveling in America as it already has in Europe, Canada, Australia, Japan, across the developed world. Increasingly, supernatural faith belongs to the third world. The first world is entering the long-predicted secular age where science and knowledge dominate. And we've seen the consequences of this transition, the consequences of this change. Who would have ever thought that a university in Texas would have an atheist group on campus that would set up a booth and encourage students to exchange their Bibles for pornography? It was called the Bibles for Porn campaign. Who would have ever thought that that would happen in an American university? But yes, that sort of thing is happening. Who would have ever thought that in America we'd see the atheists becoming 
very aggressive in getting their message out across America, putting billboards up across the nation in many, many states, in many cities, ads on buses, ads on subways, like this one here from Cincinnati. Don't believe in God? You are not alone. This one in Chicago. Are you good without God? Millions are. This one in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, this one in Iowa on a bus. And in Seattle, at Christmas time, there was this billboard put up. Yes, Virginia, there is no God. These are the sorts of things, not just happening in America, by the way, it's all across our Western world. You go over to London, you see those sorts of ads on buses and on the subways as well. The atheists have become very, very aggressive. Where are the Christians? How come the atheists are having such an influence on the culture when they're such a small group? And we need to understand what is happening it, it, as, as professors in universities are, are teaching students in this nation. I want to show you a video clip of a professor from Arizona State University as he spoke in 2009 at an atheist conference. I want you to realize that increasingly we're seeing these sort of people in positions of authority at our educational institutions. Listen to what this university professor from Arizona was saying and listen to the reaction at the end. The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus, the stars died so that you could be here today, okay? And, and anyway, this is great. So forget Jesus, the stars died so that you could be here today. And you know, they mock at us for believing in an infinite creator God, and they say, how stupid can you get? And here they are saying stars exploded, and the stardust in your right hand came from a different star than your left hand, and so on. Openly mocking Christianity, and they're allowed to do that. But if Christians try to say anything about God or the Bible in the public school, they're threatened to be taken to court. Whatever we once were, we are no longer. You know, I, I want to go through those, and that's just a sample of what's happening in our Western world, just a sample of what's happening in America. There's much more that's going on. But I wanted you to, to look at that and understand something, because we see that and say, wow, look, look how bad the culture's becoming. Look what's happening to the culture. And I say, wait a minute, stand back for a moment. I want you to think about something. Why has that happened to the culture? I suggest to you because we have a major problem, a major problem in our church. See, one of the things that we have found is this. George Barner did some research back in 2002, and George Barner found that two-thirds of young people, two-thirds of young people in our churches, by the time they reach college age, are going to walk away from the church. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what is happening here? In fact, he reconfirmed this in 2006 that uh, about two-thirds of young people, about 70% of young people uh, from, um, when they reach college age are going to walk away from the church. That means, by the way, if you take the average church, and even though I know there are exceptions, but you take the average church and you take all the students in that church, all the children, line them up from kindergarten right up to college age and then say, let's take two-thirds of them and let's march them out of the church. They're going to leave. That's what's going to happen. By the way, if that keeps happening in our churches, where's the church in America going to be? It'll be where England is today. We'll be shutting down churches across this nation. Because once you lose the next generation, what's going to happen? And people, we're losing the next generation. It only takes one generation to lose an entire culture. Where's the church going to be in America if we keep going the way that we are? That's one of the reasons why we commissioned a research project 
with uh, Britt Beamer from America's Research Group was published in the book called Already Gone, a research project where we said to Britt Beamer, we want you to go and find out why and when these young people are leaving the church. And he did that. He did the research. He interviewed a 1,000 people in their 20s. The uh, reason he chose 20s because he believed they would remember what they were thinking at teenagers and so on when you get older like us, you know. Um, but he chose a 1,000 people in their 20s, half male, half female, who used to go to church as kids, no longer go to church, and we asked him to bias it in the direction of they had to go to a conservative church because these are the best the results are going to be to find out why they left the church. And you know, one of the main reasons, it was hypocrisy. And when he asked, what do you mean by hypocrisy?, they explained by hypocrisy it's going to church and being told we believe the bible here trust in jesus but then being told but we don't necessarily believe this part of the bible particularly when it came to the book of genesis and you can believe in millions of years and evolution and reinterpret that that doesn't matter but make sure you believe the rest and they saw it as hypocrisy they walked away from the church not only that when we looked at the answers they gave to the questions it showed clearly that they weren't taught how to defend their faith they weren't taught apologetics in fact as i travel around the world today i find I'm asked the same basic questions over and over again. How do you know the Bible's true? Where'd the Bible come from? Where did God come from? Who made God? How do you know that there's a God? Why those 66 books? Anyway, carbon 14 disproves the Bible. What about dinosaurs? How do you explain that if, if the Bible's true? We know there wasn't a global flood. There's not enough water to cover the earth for a global flood. No, it couldn't fit all the animals on the ark. By the way, how many of you have heard those sorts of questions? Have you heard those sorts of questions? Yeah. And you know why? That's the era of history we live in. But instead of raising up generations who've got answers to those questions who know how to defend their faith you know what we tend to do teach bible stories and we say well i don't know the answers doesn't matter anyway but trust in jesus and what's happening is this the secularists are capturing the hearts and minds of generations of our kids and teaching them why the bible from their perspective can't be trusted and is not true and instead of us raising up generations who know they can stand on god's word and it is the true history book of the universe and know how to defend their faith we're letting the secularists capture generations of hearts and minds of our kids and they're changing the culture we had 300 atheists in 2009 who came to the creation museum in one group that was an interesting day you know what's interesting? One of the atheists afterwards wrote this. He said, for me, the most frightening part of the Creation Museum was the children's section. It was at this moment that I learned the deepest lesson of my visit to the museum. It is in the minds and hearts of our children that the battle will be fought. You know what? The secularists understand. If we can get the kids, we'll get the culture. If we can capture their hearts and minds, we'll get the culture. And sadly, many of, of us in the church, we basically handed our kids over to the culture and we're wondering why we're losing them. In fact, I want to show you something. Here's one of the biology textbooks used in the public schools in America. We have most of the biology textbooks, earth science textbooks that are used in the public school. We have them in our offices uh, back at Answers in Genesis. And this biology textbook will teach students about the origin of life, the origin of animals, plants and so on, uh, the origin of the universe, the origin of man. So it deals with all those issues and teaches them some good observational science as well when, you know, talking about cells and things like that. But notice what it says here. In science, you have to search for natural causes, for natural phenomena. Supernatural explanations of natural events are simply outside the bounds of science. By the way, who decided that science only explains things using natural causes and the supernatural is not allowed to have any part of science? Who decided that? People who don't believe in the supernatural. People who don't believe in God. Do you realize what this means? You know what the word science means? 
The word science means knowledge. That's what it means. It means knowledge. See, I have people who come to me and say, but hasn't science disproved the Bible? The Bible's not a scientific book. You know the first thing I do with those people? Excuse me, what do you mean by scientific? What do you mean by science? You know, I had one man recently say to me, now do you believe Genesis is a theological book or do you believe it's a scientific book? I said, could you tell me what you mean by scientific? And he said, what do you mean? I said, what I mean is, can you tell me what you mean by scientific? (laughs) And he said, well, I don't really know. (laughs) I said, it's a problem, isn't it? You see, what do we mean by science or scientific? See, the word science we tend to use for, oh, space shuttles and our technology and so on. But science means knowledge. Do you realize what they're saying in this textbook? Knowledge can only be gained uh, by looking for natural causes, natural events, naturalism. Supernatural cannot be allowed. Do 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 you know what that textbook is doing? It's promoting the religion of atheism. That's what it is. It's an atheistic philosophy. And people, what we've got to understand is this is that we have been misled in this country because many people have been told, oh, you know, separation of church and state, and we could talk about that for for quite a while in regard to those supposed issues. Suppose separation of church and state, which means anything that's secular is neutral, and so you Christians, if you're on about the Bible and so on, you're imposing your religion on others, you can't do that, you can't have the Bible in the public schools and so on. So what's happened is many Christians in this nation have said, okay, well, we can't use the Bible in fighting the abortion issue or the gay marriage issue, or we can't have creation in schools because that's imposing our religion and we step back and you know what's happened? They've imposed the religion of atheism. They've imposed the religion of naturalism. You see, the education system in this nation, like the nation as a whole, had a foundation that you start from God's word. And what's happened is this, due to the so-called separation of church and state issue, and really when it comes to that issue, I mean the phrase wall of separation was actually in a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists who are asking about states' rights. But you see, there's this idea today that, oh no, separation of church and state means, you know, if you, if you mention God, that's religious. If you don't, that's neutral. People, if you mention God, that's religious. If you don't, that's religious. You're either for Christ or against. You either walk in light or you walk in darkness. Remember what the scripture says in Matthew. He who is not with me is against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter. And so we've got to understand something when they threw the Bible and, and prayer and God out of the public school. They didn't throw religion out. They threw Christianity out and they replaced it with the religion of naturalism or the religion of atheism. Really, public education, even though there are some missionaries in that system, has become an atheistic, an atheistic, uh, educational institution across this nation that is capturing the hearts and minds of generations of our kids. 90% of our kids from church homes go to that system and they're being captured by the system. Psalm 11.3 tells us if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's a barn that had a foundation that was, that was cracking and collapsing. And when the foundation finally collapsed, down came the barn. That collapsing structure to me there represents the collapsing worldview in our Western world. It represents these moral issues, the moral relativism that is pervading our culture in America and through our Western world. Why is that? Because a foundation has been removed and the structure is collapsing. What foundation? The foundation of the authority of the word of God. 
And you know, in this day and age, God's word has particularly been attacked in regard to the book of Genesis, in regard to that history in Genesis 1 to 11. We live in an era of history when even much of the church has said to us, and many of the church leaders and our Bible college professors and Christian college professors and seminary professors have told us, you can believe in evolution, you can believe in millions of years, you can believe in the Big Bang, we just reinterpret the days of creation, we, we reinterpret the history in Genesis. That doesn't matter as long as you trust in Jesus. But people, what they have done is really take the pagan religion of the age. That's what evolution of millions of years really really are. It's really the pagan religion of the age that the secularists use to explain life without God. And we, just like the Israelites, have adopted a pagan religion into our culture and it's contaminated the word of God and we wonder why we're losing our culture. You see, as a Christian, when we say that you can add millions of years in evolution into the Bible and we reinterpret what Genesis clearly teaches, we do two things. One, we undermine the history that's foundational to all doctrine. But secondly, we undermine the very word of God itself. Let me explain to you. In Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he said, haven't you read? There's the authority of the word. Haven't you read in Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24, because that's where he quotes from, that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, this is the reason a man leaves his mother and father, cleaves unto his wife, there'll be one flesh. You become one in marriage because you're one flesh. It's based on the fact that the woman came from the man. She didn't come from an ape woman. If, if, we, if the woman came from an ape woman, you destroyed the whole basis of marriage. She came from the man. You see, what Jesus was showing was that the doctrine of marriage is founded upon Genesis 1 to 11. But not just marriage. Do you realize ultimately every single biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11? Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is there sin in the world? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is there death? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven-day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we need a new, new heavens and a new earth? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we wear clothes? Genesis 1 to 11. Do you think Genesis 1 to 11 is important? It's the foundational history for the whole of the rest of the Bible. You see, I've had many parents come to me and say, oh, when my little Johnny came home from school and my little Johnny uh, said to me he was taught millions of years or Big Bang or evolution, I said to him, you know what, Johnny, it doesn't matter. And I asked the pastor of our church and he said it doesn't matter either. It doesn't matter what you believe about Genesis. You know, that's not that important how God did things or whatever. You know what's most important, Johnny, that you trust in Jesus. But friends... I want you to think about this for a moment. If we were born again Christian, we would believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. Is that correct? Let me ask you a question. How do you know Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead? Where'd you get that from? You got a movie rerun? Did you go back and see it? Were you there? How do you ultimately know Jesus rose from the dead? Where do you get that from? Oh, the Bible. Oh, you want me to take this authoritatively? Oh, but wait a minute. The secular scientists say a man can't rise from the dead. Shouldn't we, on the basis of the secular scientists, reinterpret the resurrection? You can't do that. This is the word of God. Huh. I suppose you people believe in the virgin birth. Where'd you get that from? The Bi oh, you want me to take the Bible seriously? Oh, I see. I suppose you believe that a fish swallowed a man. How do you know a fish swallowed a man? Because the Bible said so. Ah. Oh. I suppose you believe Jesus walked on water. How do you know that happened? Because the Bible says so. In fact, we could go all the way through this book. How do you know the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry land? And how do you know Jesus fed thousands of people as a miracle? And how do you know that uh, the walls of Jericho fell down? How do you know all these things? Because the Bible says so. And then we come to Genesis. And in the average church in our Western world, 
And the average church in America, the average Bible college, semin- seminary, Christian college, when, when we go to Christian leaders, professors, when we go to pastors, elders, deacons, and we say, well, in Genesis it says God created in six days, it was a global flood, Adam from dust, woman from his side, death came after sin. You know what we hear? Oh, we're not sure about that. Oh, we don't really know. Well, actually, you've got to listen to what the secular scientists are saying. And, and, and we've got to reinterpret the word of God. And do you know what happens? See, do you know what happened in England? Back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, when the idea of millions of years was popularized by deism materialists, people who didn't want to believe the word of God, who were trying to come up with a so-called scientific justification for saying God's word is not true, instead of believing Noah's flood laid down the most of your fossil layers, they said those layers were built up over millions of years. And you know what many church leaders in England did? They said we can take the millions of years and reinterpret the days of creation. And along came Darwin, and they said, oh, we can take evolution and say God used evolution. Along came the Big Bang, oh, we can say that God used the Big Bang. And what they did was they unlocked a door. You know what the door was they unlocked? You don't have to take God's word as written. You can use man's ideas outside the Bible, reinterpret the Bible. People, what do you notice in Scripture when there's compromise or sin in one generation? Is it usually to a greater or lesser extent in the next? greater. And you know what happened? The next generation pushed that door open further. And the next generation pushed that door open further. If you go to England today, even most of your conservative churches will not take a stand on a literal genesis and stand back and look at the nation and say, can't you people see what's happening? You're losing the culture. It's an issue of authority. Now when I speak authoritatively like that, I have people say to me, but are you saying if you don't believe in, 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 in a literal genesis and a young earth then you can't be a Christian? No, I'm not saying that. Look, here's what the Bible says. In Romans 10.9 it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead and believe in a young earth in six literal days you'll be saved. Is that, is that what it's saying? No, it's not saying that. In fact, here's what it says. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's not a salvation issue, but you know what it is? It's an authority issue. You see, salvation is not conditioned upon the age of the earth or the days of creation, but it's conditioned upon faith in Christ. But here's my point. Where does the message of Jesus come from? It comes from the word of God. And if you can't trust the word of God over here, why should you be able to trust it over here? People, what's happening is we have generations today who, when you look at those seven seas of history, which is really how we summarize Genesis to Revelation, then you understand those first four seas, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, that's the geological, biological, anthropological, astronomical history of the universe that's foundational to the next three seas, which is the message of the gospel. We have generations today who recognize that if the first part's not true, how can the rest be true? Because we grow up in a culture in which we're being taught a geological, biological, astronomical, anthropological, archaeological history that totally contradicts the Bible. And so we have generations today saying, can the Bible really be trusted in this scientific age? Because for them, the world has bombed out the Bible, evolution, millions of years, and so on. And they're saying, well, what's the church going to do about this? The church says, well, trust in Jesus. But see, they recognize if the first part of the Bible, if that history is not true, then neither is the rest. And what we're doing in our churches and homes, as I said, we tend to be teaching Bible stories. And by the way, the word story today has come to really mean fairy tale. We even say to our kids, look at these wonderful Bible stories. But you see, for them, what they're being taught at school is the real history of the universe. We've been taught all this real history about millions of years and evolution and all this evidence. What are we doing at church? Stories. And we wonder why we're losing the next generation. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer, to give a defense. 
And one of the things that we need to understand is we need to be preparing generations today to be able to stand on the authority of the word of God and give answers to the skeptics of this age. We need to teach them, for instance, concerning Noah's flood, that Noah's ark was a real boat. We, we want to make sure we don't teach them the way many of our Christian books do, showing Noah's ark as an overloaded bathtub with giraffes sticking out the chimney at any moment about to sink, which teaches them as a fairy tale. We need to be teaching the Bible as real history. We need to be preparing them to answer questions. For instance, how did Noah fit all the animals on the ark? Well, he didn't need uh, all the different species or varieties. If you take dogs, they're all the one kind, the one family, and he needed two dogs on the ark. That's all he needed, and two elephants, and two horses, and so on. There was plenty of room on Noah's ark. In fact, the real question is not how did he fit the animals on the ark, but why did Noah build an ark so big he didn't need? And then we need to be connecting the flood to geology. If there really was a global flood, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth. And by the way, that's exactly what you find. In fact, and look at the scriptures. Look how it all fits together here. We, we're going to teach these, these, these children the Bible is real history and help them understand. Look, originally... God told Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 verse 29 that they would eat fruit. He said the animals would be plant eaters in verse 30. It wasn't until after the flood in Genesis 9-3 that God said, just as I gave you the plants, now you can eat everything. As I say to people, that's the definition of a hot dog, everything. See, a hot dog has its origin even in Genesis, as you can see there. By the way, why did God change our diet? Because sin changed everything. Adam, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will surely what? Die. Death is an enemy. Death entered because of sin. But if you believe in millions of years, we need to understand this. We need to be raising generations up to understand, look, you can't be consistent and believe in millions of years and add it to the Bible. Many church leaders do today. Many of our pastors do, our, our Christian college professors, seminary professors. But if you believe in millions of years, if the fossil record was laid down millions of years before man, the fossil record has evidence that animals were eating each other. But wait a minute, the Bible says they're vegetarian to start with. The fossil record has evidence of diseases like cancer and arthritis and brain tumors and so on. Wait a minute, when God first made everything, he said it was all very good. He wouldn't call cancer very good. There are thorns in the fossil record said to be hundreds of millions of years old. The Bible says thorns came after the curse. You see, these two accounts of the past don't fit together. One is a perfect world marred by sin and now it's a groaning world because of sin. That's why there's death here. In, in fact, when Adam sinned, we forfeited, we and Adam forfeited our right to live. And so God placed upon us the curse or the judgment of death so our bodies would die. But our souls, we would live forever separated from God. But, but he already had a plan to step into history in the person of the Son of God to die on a cross, be raised from the dead and offer a free gift of salvation to save us from what we did. God wants to save us from what we did. But these two things, millions of years of death and suffering and animals eating each other and thorns and diseases leading up to man or the other one, a perfect world marred by sin and now it's groaning because of sin, you can't add them together, not consistently. And you see, children understand that. They start to realize when you take man's ideas, man's religion and add it into the Bible and reinterpret God's word, you're undermining the authority of the word of God. What you're really saying is God doesn't mean what he says here. You don't take it as written. That's why when I have parents say to me, but I told little Johnny, you know, it doesn't matter if you believe in millions of years in evolution as long as you say God did it because God could have done anything. And my answer is it's not what God could have done, it's what God said he did. And if you've just told little Johnny that what God said he did is not true, then you've just undermined the authority of Scripture. And by the way, 
As we do all this, we need to be helping them understand with even scientific evidence, as, as we do at the Creation Museum and in the resources at Answers in Genesis. For instance, when Mount St. Helens erupted May 18, 1980, sedimentary layers were laid down. Thousands of individual layers were laid down in a matter of hours. It didn't take millions of years. Canyons were formed in days or weeks. In fact, even canyons through hard rock were formed over a period of two or three years. When you go to the Grand Canyon today, when you go to the Grand Canyon, you know you drive up because the whole area has been lifted up, the Kaibab upwarp, the, the plateau that's there. Actually, the Bible indicates how God ended the flood, raised up the mountains, lowered the ocean basins, the water poured off into the ocean basins. And when you go to the Grand Canyon, you can actually go to where you actually see that uplift. And when you stand there and you see that man for scale there and you look at the rocks and you analyse them, you start to realise something. Those rocks were bent when they were still soft. They couldn't have been bent over millions of years of heat and pressure because there would have been metamorphic processes, but there's no evidence of that. No evidence at all. They were bent when they were still soft. You're looking at what happened at the end of the flood. And see, the point in doing all this is to help people understand today, you know what, the history in the Bible is true. That helps us understand this is God's word and that history is true. By the way, if that history is true, then the gospel based in that history is true. Here's the bottom line. If God's word is true, we have an absolute authority of a basis for right and wrong. We have a basis for marriage, one man for one woman. See, when you start with God's word, we have an absolute authority. Who does determine right and wrong? Who determines what marriage is all about? It's only if there's an absolute authority that we can say, this is why marriage is to be a man and a woman. But if you say, no, we don't start with God's word, we start with man's word, then who decides right and wrong? You do. You know what it says in the book of Judges? When they had no king to tell them what to do, they all did what was right in their own eyes. Do you realize what's happened in America? America has changed religion. It's changed foundation from God's word to man's word. That change has occurred in our government. That change has occurred in the courts. That change has occurred in the education system. And you know the saddest thing of all? It's occurred in the church. Because when we adopt man's ideas into the Bible and add evolution millions of years into the Bible, when you take the, what the secularists say and reinterpret the Bible, our starting point is no longer God's word. Our starting point is man's word. What we're seeing happening in America today and across our Western world is the collapse of Christian morality, increasing moral relativism. You know why? There's been a change foundationally from God's word to man's word. When Penguin Books published their survey and said that two-thirds of the young people in England, teenagers, no longer believe in God, a church spokesperson in England said this in response. Many of these results point to the great spirituality of young people today that the church is seeking to respond to through new forms of worship alongside traditional ones. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in England, I've been over there many times and I see it in America as well, I see the way the church is responding to how the culture is going and instead of understanding the foundational reason as to what's happened, they look and say, well, um, obviously we've got to make the, the, the church more attractive. And so I see more and more of a watering down of the teaching of the word and an increase in entertainment programs to make the church look more like the world to try to attract the world in instead of giving the world the answers they need to understand this is the word of God. And I like to sum it up with these castle diagrams. 
Here's the foundation of God's word and the structure of Christianity, those doctrines and the gospel that comes out of that. Here's the foundation of man's word and the structure of secular humanism, moral relativism. You see, there are only two religions in the world. You either start with God's word or man's word. Start in Genesis 3. Trust God or you decide truth for yourself. I mean, that's it. And see, what's happened is there's been an incredible attack on God's word in this era of history. God's word's been under attack since Genesis 3, but the attack in this era of history is particularly being upon Genesis 1 to 11. Much of the church has said that doesn't matter. Uh, we, it doesn't matter how God did things. But see, this is the word of God. We've got to understand this is the very word of God itself. It doesn't matter how God did things. As long as we believe the rest of the Bible and believe this structure, but people, that structure needs a whole foundation to stand or like the barn when the foundation collapses, the structure will. And we look out into the culture and we see the moral relativism. We see the gay marriage issue, the abortion issue. And we're looking at the collapse of the structure. And and we're looking up there and saying, look at all the problems in the culture. They're not the problems, they're the symptoms. They're the symptoms of what's happening foundationally. And in fact, the church in America, Christian organizations, have spent hundreds of millions of dollars to try to fight those social issues. But let me ask you a question from a big picture perspective. Has it really worked? The answer is no. And you know why? Because we've tried to change the culture. The Bible doesn't say go into all the world and change the culture. The Bible says go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel and to make disciples. We have got to be out there capturing for the Lord hearts and minds, raising up generations who will stand on the authority of the word of God, know how to defend their faith, know that they can preach with authority because they believe the authority from which it comes, know how to give answers to the skeptical questions of this age and because it's those people that will be salt and light and change the culture. And people, you know, you know what's happened? Atheists have got themselves on school boards. Atheists have got themselves into those positions and they vote in accord with their atheism. And then when a Christian gets on there, they say, you can't do that. You're imposing your religion. And then we say, oh, I guess we are. And we let them impose their atheistic religion. That's what's really happened. As you think about this, I want to show you a video clip. Back in 1986, I was filmed in Arizona. And this is the message that I was preaching in America at that time. My wife and I moved over to America in 1987 as missionaries to a pagan culture to call the church and culture back to the authority of the word of God. Now, when you see this video clip, you'll think it's my son. I look at it and say... What happened? Well, sin affected the world and me. But I want you to hear what I was saying in 1986 and what I was, in a sense, predicting would happen in this nation. And I want you to think about what's said and look at this nation today. How many people fight it at the issue level instead of saying, hang on, God's the creator, he sets the rules, let's see what his word says. The reason I'm against abortion is because God is creator, his word tells me, Psalm 139, Psalm 51, many other places, at the point of conception you're human, therefore abortion is killing. We are not the product of chance random processes, we are not just animals, God created us. What I'm saying is if we don't fight the issues at a foundational level, even if we get the laws changed today in regard to abortion or pornography, what happens when the next generation comes through who so believe evolution even more and reject creation and Christianity, won't they just change the laws back again? We have to fight it at a foundational level. There's a war on. There's a war in society. It's Christianity versus humanism. 
But you know, at a foundational level, it really is creation versus evolution. You know, the whole creation-evolution issue is not just a side issue. It's one of the most fundamental important issues of today. And if Christians don't grasp what the foundational issues are, we're not going to be successful in the long run in evangelizing society. Would you say that that was a good prediction of what was going to happen in America if the church didn't start standing on the foundation that they should stand on, stop compromising that foundation, if the church just fights the issues? And you know, if you think about it, in America at this point in history, people think, oh, if only we can get a conservative president or conservative senators or conservative congressmen in, that's what will change America. People, you could do that and they could change the laws again in one sense in regard to some of these issues. But when you have generations coming through who are, are so much more secularized than previous generations and they get into power, they're just going to change those laws back again. The solution is that we need to be restoring the foundation of the authority of the word of God, starting in our own homes and churches, and then dealing foundationally with these issues. We can't just go out there, we can't just go out there and fight the issues. Now, we've got to be salt and light, that's true. But people, if that's all we try to do, in the long run, we'll lose it. You know, there are many people today calling for a, a return to conservative values in America. What they really mean is they want conservative values, which are really what? Christian morality. But you can't have Christian morality without Christianity. You can't have Christianity without the Bible. And by the way, you can't have the Bible without Genesis 1 to 11. Ultimately, if you just call for conservative values, so to speak, in the long run, you'll lose the culture. You see, do you know what the answer is? People say, oh, we've got to get back to what the founding fathers believe. We've got to get back to the Constitution. I understand that. But in an ultimate sense, if you don't get back to the authority of the word of God, you will lose this nation. And so what we should be calling for is a return to the authority of the word. And so really, that's what our ministry is all about. Our ministry is really all about calling this church and culture back to the authority of the Word of God. It's about time Christians stop being misled and thinking that, oh, if we go out there and wave the Bible in the culture, we'll be accused of, of being religious. We'll be accused of imposing our, our religion on the culture. We're letting them impose their religion on us, on the education system, on this nation as a whole. It's about time God's people went out there unashamedly, uncompromisingly, stood on the Word of God and said, this is what it's all about. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Show that we can defend our faith if we honour God's word, remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's God's word that's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's God's word that will not return unto him void. When we start standing on the word of God, that's what's going to change this nation. Now that we understand the times that we live in and the foundational nature of the spiritual war of our day, let's go out there and proclaim the gospel with boldness, but do it in a way that people will understand defending the Christian faith, giving answers for what we believe, and let's commit to raising up generations who know what they believe about God's word, why they believe what they do, and can give answers to a skeptical world so people will understand the history in the Bible is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. Well, I trust that was a very inspiring message that we heard from Ken Ham. We need to note right away that Ken Ham is approaching this issue from a futurist perspective. But thankfully, he did not say much about eschatology in this speech. 
the most important part of his speech about the crumbling foundations of Western civilization is certainly valid, regardless of whether we are futurist or preterist. He clearly shows that there is a direct connection between the decline of Christianity and our compromise with evolution. And that is the point we want to focus on here. Ken Ham pointed out that evolution teaches that Adam and Eve were not the first two human beings on planet Earth, and that there were other humans on Earth before them, and that human and animal death and disease were already occurring before Adam and Eve came on the scene, so that Adam and Eve were already subject to death and disease before their fall into sin. But this contradicts the Genesis account of creation. The Bible says that human death did not happen until after the fall. Both the Bible and evolution cannot be right. They paint two very different pictures of man's history on this planet. They cannot be harmonized. Yet today we have seminary professors, theologians, and preachers trying to force the Bible into allowing for millions of years of evolution before man came on the scene. They have compromised with evolution. The younger generation can see this irreconcilable difference between the two views. When they see their Christian teachers adding evolutionary ideas into the Bible, forcing the Bible to compromise with evolution, and reinterpreting the Bible so that it allows for millions of years, their faith in the truthfulness of Scripture the trustworthiness of Scripture, and the absolute authority of Scripture is totally undermined and destroyed. When we reinterpret the Genesis account to compromise with evolution, we are in net effect telling our children that God doesn't mean what He says here in Genesis, and that Genesis 1-11 through is nothing more than a fairy tale which we can accept or reject without any consequences. When they see us rejecting the Genesis account as it is written, they feel perfectly justified in rejecting the rest of the Bible as it is written. If we can reinterpret Genesis to mean whatever we want it to mean, then they are perfectly justified in reinterpreting any other parts of the Bible to mean whatever they want it to mean. If we have the right to treat Genesis that way, then they have the right to treat the rest of the Bible that way as well. Do you see the problem here? Too many of us have compromised with evolution and told our children that it does not matter how God actually created the universe and that the only important thing is for us to believe that he did it somehow or other. We do not believe the Bible tells us how he did it. We think he could have done it over millions of years using evolution or any number of other possible ways. But Ken Ham showed the fallacy of that reasoning when he responded, It is not what God could have done, but rather what God said he did. So if we told our children that what God said he did is not true, then we have destroyed their faith in the truthfulness trustworthiness, and authority of all of Scripture. You see, it does not matter what evolution says. If the Bible already tells us how God did it, evolution and Genesis cannot both be right. 
They cannot be harmonized without compromising the truth of Genesis. And our young people are smart enough to see that. So when we compromise with evolution, we are teaching our children that it does not matter what the Bible says in Genesis or anywhere else. No wonder our teenagers and young people are leaving Christianity by the millions. If the Bible cannot be trusted in Genesis, it cannot be trusted in the New Testament either. If the miracle of creation is not true, then the miracles of the virgin birth and the resurrection of Christ are not true either. When the trustworthiness and absolute authority of the Bible is compromised and undermined with evolution, it destroys the whole foundation of Western civilization and Christianity. All the morals and ethics and spiritual values and principles that Western civilization is built on are totally undermined when the trustworthiness and authority of the Bible is challenged and rejected. And we see that very thing happening here, even in the preterist movement. The covenant creationist view is compromising with evolution, and so is the collective body view. Both views are teaching that Adam and Eve were already subject to physical death before their fall into sin. Both views reinterpret the meaning of death in order to exclude physical death from the consequences of the fall. Physical death was certainly not the only kind of death that was included in the curse. Spiritual and eternal death were also a part of it. But physical death was included. And this becomes obvious when we read the Genesis account of the serpent's temptation of Eve. It is very clear that Eve understood the death threat to at least include physical death. And you'll want to see my attached PDF article entitled The Fall of Adam for much more information on that. Uh, And it'll help you see that physical death was included in the death threat that God levied against uh, Adam and Eve if they ate from that forbidden tree. So you want to read that article, The Fall of Adam. It's a PDF that's attached to the announcement email that I sent out. There was two links there, one for the lesson outline here and another for the Fall of Adam PDF. So when the covenant creationist view and the collective body view reject physical death as a part of the death threat and say that Adam and Eve were already subject to physical death before the fall, they are compromising with evolution, and that is only weakening our faith in the Bible even more. In order to define what is good or bad, right or wrong, we need an absolute standard that never changes, which is forever relevant and applicable to all generations of mankind. The Bible claims to be that absolute standard. Western civilization was built on that biblical standard of right and wrong. When we reject any part of that standard, we are rejecting the whole standard. It is no surprise that when this country took prayer and Bible reading out of the schools and brought in sex education, condoms, abortion, and homosexuality, the American culture began to decline and disintegrate. No society or culture can survive the rejection of the foundational principles upon which it was built. 
America started out as a Christian nation that was founded on biblical absolutes. But the schools have erased that history from our textbooks. They do not want our children to know what this nation was originally founded on. They want to reshape it according to their own agenda and remove God and the Bible totally out of the picture. The foundations of Western civilization have been severely damaged by our neglect and our compromise with evolution. We have virtually walked into the enemy's camp and surrendered without a fight. Our young people are abandoning the church and Christianity by the tens of millions. Thousands of churches are dying and closing their doors every year, and the downward spiral is gaining momentum every day. The way we treat Genesis now, in this generation, is the way the next generation will treat the rest of the Bible. We cannot consistently reject one part of it and accept the rest. It all stands or falls together. Christianity is totally founded on what is taught in Genesis 1 through 11. If we compromise in Genesis, we invalidate Christianity as well. We need to be consumed with restoring and maintaining the truthfulness, trustworthiness, and absolute authority of all of Scripture, including Genesis 1 through 11. This is the danger that all Christians need to be aware of. The older generation has gone to sleep and refuses to wake up. We refuse to believe that Christianity is in any danger of being suppressed and persecuted here in America. But it is already happening in other parts of the Western world where Christianity was once strong. And it will happen here as well sooner than we think unless we equip and inspire the next generation to challenge the forces of evil and drive them back into the darkness. We need to equip our young people with a consistent biblical worldview and a strong Christian apologetic that can take every thought captive to the Word of God. This is one of the reasons why we put up an exhibit booth every year at the Evangelical Theological Society Conference. There are hundreds of young, bright seminary and Christian college students there who need to be exposed to the preterist worldview and a consistent biblical apologetic. Part of that equipping of the next generation needs to include a careful study of the book of Romans. Of all the books in our New Testament which teach godly principles of morals, ethics, spirituality, and a strong apologetic. The book of Romans is right up there at the top of the list. A lot of the principles upon which this nation was originally built came from the book of Romans. This book builds our faith, sharpens our apologetic, and emboldens us to run into the darkness with the light of God's infallible, trustworthy, and absolutely authoritative word. So next time, we're going to get back into this wonderful book of Romans and point out some of those foundational principles that are so important to our culture and to our nation and to our church. I pray that God will use this study of Romans to awaken us and equip us and embolden us 
to take every thought captive. Well, that will do it for this time. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Then and Now with Ed Stevens. We would love to hear from you. Send your email to preterist1 at preterist.org. Our website has many great articles, books, and audio video resources. The address is www.preterist.org. This teaching ministry depends on your donations, and you share in all the good fruit that we produce. To make a donation or support monthly, simply go to our website, www.preterist.org, or call us at 814-368-6578. Join us again next time for Then and Now, where we study the past to shape a better future.